Plundergrounds, Episode 115, Character Campfire Stories, and The Adventures of Dell and Tiger. Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and Dungeon Delve, Science Fiction, watch yourselves. Hi, everyone. By way of apology for my last episode, which was a little longer than I like to make them, I think it was close to 50 minutes, and I usually try to keep them under 30, I thought I would give you a short one to listen to. Uh, I have two topics I want to talk about today. One of them is campfire stories about characters, and the other is a review of a sword and sorcery fiction that I recently discovered. So here we go. This morning I was listening to Spencer's Keep Off the Borderlands podcast, specifically the episode entitled Emergent Complexity. And Spencer spent the last third of that podcast talking about small generative character fiction moments inside of the game, the black hack, and how nice it is that these small moments build up over time into a rich tapestry. And that's a topic that I like to talk about, emergent character fiction uh, through the fiction as opposed to between sessions or outside of sessions. Uh, And it lined up nicely with an event that I had last night. I'm on a work trip in Las Vegas, and my colleagues and I went out to dinner at a Mongolian hot pot place, which I have to stop and and do a little sidetrack here and tell you about because it was so good. Um, If you've not been to a Mongolian hot pot place, they bring you... um, a kettle of broth that you choose. There's different bases. Put it on a hot plate in front of you, and then you choose spices and vegetables and meats and whatever else you like to throw into your pot, and it cooks in the pot as you're sitting there. So it was just really excellent. The place was called The Chubby Cattle. So if you're ever in Las Vegas, I think they also have locations in Denver and Philadelphia. Um, Stop by The Chubby Cattle and enjoy some Mongolian hot pot food. Uh, Just watch it. You have to have a little patience, otherwise you scorch your tongue. (laughs) I've still still got a bit of a... um, a weird sensation in my mouth this morning from being a little bit too quick on the draw uh, to eat the food as it came out of the pot. Well, we were talking about various things, um, depression being one of them and, and the lack of having goals or things that you want to do or even ideas about what would be fun. And so the the idea of a bucket list came up and somebody said, you know, well, what's, what's still on your bucket list? What's what's some things that you definitely would like to, to do, you know? And um, it what made me think about was uh, how one way to, to do emergent character fiction that is a little bit forced but could be really good would be uh, campfire talks. You know, you sit around with your friends and you have these talks, like what would you do if you won the lottery uh, or if money was no object, right? Um, where do you want to travel to? Uh, what do you, would you still like to do before you die? Um, how, you know, what's, what's your family like? Uh, what, are, what You have all these different questions that you ask each other over dinner. And it, it makes me think that in a true adventure setting, you know, you're going to have a lot of time sitting around the campfire after a long day of marching or when you're holed up in a dungeon, although maybe less there. <laughs> that, one, that would be a good time to ask really spooky questions, I guess, if you've got the door spiked and, and um, you're sitting around trying to... Um, talk yourself out of being mortally afraid of every little sound that that comes down the um, stony hallways but so it would be fun to have these little 
you know, moments, scenes within the fiction where you do campfire stories and you talk in character between characters. And I, I know people do this. They, they do it in taverns and things like that in their games. But it's good to remember that, right? Like as a technique, that would be a cool way to work into some character fiction that might not arise otherwise through play. So that was my first topic. I told you I was going to keep them short. I recently participated in a book swap. It happened among the Anchorite podcasters in the Audio Dungeon Discord through a channel called Bookworm, where those of us who are avid readers discuss books now and then. And we decided it would be fun to kind of draw names and send each other a physical book. I was sent a book by Evil Jeff, and uh, when I got it, I was a little bit uh, daunted because it came out of the packaging looking like a family Bible. It was uh, about 700 pages long. It was an omnibus of two different novels. And uh, I thought, my goodness, this is a lot to read. I hope I like it, right? Uh, But I quickly came to love the physical book. For one thing, it was wonderfully floppy in the hand. You know how those uh, books sometimes just feel soft when you're reading them, and I, and I like that feeling where you feel like you can kind of bend the, the covers back and not be too damaging to the to the book. I, I used to be, <laughs> before you cringe, I, I used to be the kind of person that would keep my books in absolutely pristine condition. Uh, but then I realized that most paperbacks are in impermanent format anyway, and you may have heard me talk in previous podcasts about my habit of, um, I think it's what Spencer calls my book abattoir, uh, where I take old novels and chop the spines off in a cutter and then send them through a scanner. And I do it to novels, particularly ones that are in that kind of two to 300 page length um, from the 60s and and, um, early 70s that have become brittle with age and the pages have have mellowed to a wonderful yellow. Um, And while they're really ripe, they're almost overripe as a book, right? I know in another 10 years, they're going to be falling apart. And so I feel like I'm rescuing them in a way, uh, (laughs) in maybe a little slightly morbid way. Um, But uh, so I've I've learned to kind of disrespect books in a a healthy way. And part of that, you know, you go in and out of phases, right? So when I was in college, uh, I went through a phase where I was marking in books a lot. And there's kind of a freedom to that, but it does kind of personalize your copy. Uh, And I don't necessarily want to read somebody's copy that's been marked up. So, you know, I like to figure out the passages for myself. I don't want to find somebody else's highlights, but sometimes that's fun too. Well, so I, I um, would sit with this book in hand and it was, I've been reading electronically for uh, quite a time now, just ever since my eyes got a little worse and I need reading glasses and everything. It's kind of nice to be able to read, uh, you know, change your font size and your contrast and all that. Well, I, I sort of rediscovered the love for physical books through this thing just because it was a nice, had fairly large print. Um, the chapters were short and breezy, but just a nice, just a nice read. Uh, I went through it very quickly and, and was surprised at how quickly the novels went down. But let me talk about the novels themselves. The omnibus I was given includes two books in the Tiger and Dell series by Jennifer Roberson. And she has this, uh, you know, as fantasy series often do, especially ones from the 80s, um, the titles kind of echo each other. So if you've ever read like Anne McCaffrey, you know, every title is Dragon Flight, Dragon Song, Dragon Quest. Uh, Dra- I don't think that was actually one, but, you know, it's always got dragon in the title. And these always have sword in the title. So the first two books are Sword Dancer and Sword Singer. 
Um, there are seven books in the series that goes on to have Sword Maker, Sword Breaker, Sword Born, Sword Sworn, and Sword Bound. So she does this nice kind of pairing thing um, until she gets to the seventh one. I don't know if there'll ever be an eighth. Uh, I don't really know much about the series beyond the two that I read. So let me just stick to that. Uh, it's nice to have a, a female voice, a woman author. Uh, you know, it's not uncommon in science fiction and fantasy to run across uh, female authors, but it's certainly not um, the predominant thing, right? Um, I think writing in general is more friendly or has always been a little more friendly to female voices than some things in society, but it's still a fairly male-dominated field, or, or at least was until uh, recently. And it's nice to find, when you reach back into the 70s and 80s, to find female voices of quality. And uh, I'll specifically name, you know, like some of the 60s and 70s, you had C.L. Moore, you had uh, Lee Brackett, you had Andre Norton, um, maybe most famous and, and worth reading of all, Ursula K. Le Guin. Uh, man, her fiction is so good, and her writing style is amazing. Well, and I find myself uh, really drawn to women authors in the way they craft sentences. One of my all-time favorite sentence writers is Edith Wharton. She wrote House of Mirth and... Uh, um, Age of Innocence, and I honestly don't even love the topics all that much of those books, but I just love to read them because the sentences are so dang good. She's just a great word crafter. Well, so these books were written by Jennifer Robeson. They are sword and sorcery fiction uh, from the 80s, which is noticeable because they're they are quite different than sword and sorcery fiction from the 60s and 70s. Uh, if you don't listen to the Appendix N podcast, it's not an anchor podcast, but you can find it through pretty much any channel. Um, Jeff Goad and Hoy, um, I'm not going to remember his last name. Well, they they talk about books from Gary Gygax, Gary Gygax's Appendix in in the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide, so a list of inspiring fiction. And they recently did an interview with Michael Moorcock, who is almost 80 and sharp as a tack and super fun to listen to, funny, clever. Just It was a great interview, and so I highly recommend that you go over and listen to that. Well, he was talking a little bit at one point uh, about his conversations with Fritz Lieber and um, the adventure, the invention of sword and sorcery. And uh, there was a comment made by Jeff, which is something I heartily think is true, that D&D ruined fantasy fiction. And <laughs> ruined, I can put that in quotes, I think. It changed forever fantasy fiction with the, the way it kind of set down certain tropes in the kind of melting pot world of fantasy. If you look at fantasy before... Um, uh, before D&D, it was a lot less genre uh, bound. So you had a lot more crossover between science fiction, horror, and fantasy. And that uh, gets even more increasingly true as you go back into the pulp era uh, and you read um, you know, Robert E. Howard and H.P. Lovecraft and uh, Clark Ashton Smith and some, some of the greats from back in those days that um, you know, those early novels, they didn't really make a lot of distinction. Um, certainly in Fafford and the Gray Mouser, there's a point at which a time traveler shows up and there's kind of a submarine. I think that's in Swords of Lankmar. So you have these weird crossovers, and I always like those. I, I know people don't like them now, and I think that attitude about uh, keeping fantasy pure, you know, no ray guns in my sword and sorcery fiction, uh, really comes from a post-80s or 80s forward mindset. It really wasn't there before. And um, so that's a prejudice that we developed, and I think in a lot of ways we developed it because of because of D and D and the strong tradition of, of Tolkien. It doesn't really come from the other side of the house, you know, Elric and um, 
uh, Fafford and the Grey Mouser, and uh, you know all of those have have really strange things in them that you would not think of as traditional fantasy. Oh, and I'll mention one other thing. I'm off on a tangent, but one other thing from the Moorcock interview that I found really fascinating. If you're familiar with the Elric stories. People often cite Elric as an example of, or like a precursor to the drow, the dark elves, um, even though he's an albino. Uh, and the just this idea that they, people think of him as an elf, right? And Moorcock says, I don't know why people do that. I, basically, you know, he never says he's an elf. He never thinks of him as an elf. Um, and that's a thing, something that other people attribute to him. And it really got me thinking. I thought, yeah, I, I guess I never really thought of him I knew that he wasn't quote unquote an elf. He isn't named an elf, but it's just so ingrained in our little nerd culture that he was an elf, but he's not, right? So that was that was kind of fascinating to begin with. Okay, uh, uh, tangent off. The point I was trying to make is that the Tiger and Dell series is definitely 80s sword and sorcery. It's pure fantasy. You won't find any ray guns or, or weird alien wrecked spacecraft in the jungle or anything like that. Um, and it has kind of an 80s feel to it, although I can't really put my finger on why that is. Uh, it revolves around two characters, uh, Tiger and Dell, as you might have guessed. <laughs> Tiger is a southerner comes from, you know, uh, hotter lands, deserts. This is a fairly Western kind of mindset about um, fantasy geography. But, you know, he comes from the from the hot lands, and he is a sword master, uh, you know, as a drinker, a womanizer, um, very, um, a little macho. In fact, the first couple pages were a little hard for me to get through. I thought, oh, no, what's, what's, what's this going to be like? Um, and very quickly shed that, and you realize that that's just part of the character. And uh, it helps that you know that you're reading a female author when you read that and you think okay right she's um it's neither like a really bad trope nor is she going to beat up on the character um for being what he is it's just like uh, it's just a character thing and uh you quickly grow to enjoy that and realize that that's a little bit of a front for for tiger that he actually has some decent depth to him as a character and um but he's just a little bit more mercenary right than uh, than dell who shows up at his doorstep um and uh, uh you know this pale girl from the north uh, who seems to be driven by a personal quest that allows her no room for, um, you know, joking or friendliness or whatever. And uh, so her character seems very icy, and so she's kind of an ice queen. And again, this could go dangerously into territory that seems very sexist if you weren't dealing with a woman author and if, um, if it didn't change, which it does change, right? It, it gets more interesting as we go. Well... Um, these uh, these two swordsmen, and I, this is a, another notable thing, I guess, is that Del is um, her, her name is short for Delilah. Uh, she is a swordmaster, which is really unusual in the South. Uh, women don't become swordmasters, um, and so she has to deal with some sexism as well as. Uh, um, you know, just the changes of culture, the culture clash as she travels with Tiger. Um, Tiger is helping her on her quest. She basically hires him and uh, they go through some interesting adventures. And uh, frankly, there's not a lot more to it than that. I mean, there's a lot to the world, um, but it's a fairly straightforward story and it's quite readable for that. Sometimes I like I like it when an author just gets down to a telling a story, right? <laughs> and telling it in a way that's, that's pretty consumable, uh, doesn't jump around all over the place and introduce 800 characters 
characters. It's not one of those fantasy novels which started happening in the 80s where you get 800 um, you know, proper nouns in the first two pages that you feel like you have to memorize. I think the, the, the dumbest one, the kind of funniest one maybe that you get right off the bat is the word hoolies, which is basically a, a substitute for the word hell. And, <laughs> and the main character is saying hoolies all the time, and it, it made me think about using it in real life conversation much the same way if you ever watched Battlestar Galactica the new one you may have adopted the word frack um, and used it in a conversation awkwardly when your friends look at you and go what what did you just say <laughs> so I will not be saying hoolies but it is kind of a funny word um, so they go on these adventures well the, I think the world building part of this that's interesting is um, they one of the you would think how much depth can you get out of two people who are swordsmen right who are kind of driven or devoted to sword battles and there's a there's a ritual formality to sword battles in the novels it's interesting you draw a circle when there's like a, a ritual combat you draw a circle and people enter the circle and they call it the dance and um, the uh, the southern style and the northern style are, are contrasted in a very interesting way the the northerners I, do I want to give too much away here? I don't think I do, actually. Um, let's just say there's a, a big difference in styles, and you can kind of get it from the titles and the novels, The Sword Dancer and The Sword Singer. Um, there is also a very low-level magic going on, a current of magic. So there is definitely magic. It's definitely real. It's not something you go, uh, you wonder if it was even real. But it's very much contained. You don't have uh, a lot of sorcery in the novels just running around like crazy, which I think is also indicative of... of uh, of some sword and sorcery that uh, some sword and sorcery is low low magic and um, this has just a nice really grounded sort of feel to it Uh, having read the first two books i ordered the second two books in in, uh, the um, second omnibus of the dell and tiger series so look forward to getting into into those and i'm gonna have to say I, i recommend these especially if you're just looking for a straightforward fantasy read that's that's really approachable. Uh, the the one thing that you might want to know about this series that I haven't said yet is that it's very relationship oriented. So the the difference between um, Dell and Tiger and how they interact, um, you know, they have a lot of trouble interacting. Let's put it that way. And there's a lot of time spent on that. Now I enjoyed it. I thought it felt very accurate. I've been married for 27 years, and there were times when I thought, oh my gosh, this is a little bit like my marriage, <laughs> and uh, in a, both a good and a bad way, right? And uh, there are times when it might threaten to get on your nerves if you don't like fiction about relationships. Um, in a way, this is funny, but I almost thought of it as a buddy cop movie, right? Like you have these movies where you have uh, two cops who, who are on a case and, um, you know, kind of high comedy. These aren't high comedy, but it is uh, kind of two cops on a case, right? And uh, you could get these characters that develop, and, and it's a lot about the, how the two of them interact. So just be warned, especially the second novel is, is even more so that way than the first one because they're dealing with some really complex feelings and issues. There's big life-changing moments in in the fiction. It's not just um, um, slapdash, adventure here, adventure there, steal an item, um, you know, kill a monster. It's not that kind of fiction. So it's got a a pretty interesting story arc. And I would recommend reading the first two together. So I don't think you really want to stop after the first one. I think they did a good thing by uh, putting these into two book omnibuses. I'll be interested to see if the second pair holds together as tightly. But it tells a very interesting story. And I like where the second book ends. I've seen the preview of the third book and they kind of 
um, uh, I don't know, restore things a little bit or undo things uh, in a way that I, I'm eager to see how they do that uh, to make sure that they're not uh, that the author isn't um, I don't know, kind of cheating. But uh, I, I there's a fairly sig- significant event at the end of the second book that I. Um, I had to stop. You know, it's one of those times when you read through it and you go, wait a minute. And you have to back up a couple pages and read it again. <laughs> like, is that, did that just happen? Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, maybe that's a spoiler. I don't know. I don't think so. I'm just going to tell you that, you know, I'm telling you this, there's a twist, I guess, or whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I, I would recommend these. They were a good read. If you're looking for another fantasy series to kind of sink into, um, here's a good one. And uh, unlike, um, you know, George R. R. Martin or whatever, I think she's finished with this one. I, I, I don't know that she's going to write any more in this series. <laughs> and and uh, uh, so you can get into it knowing that it's not endless, right? That it, that it um, that it's never going to finish or never going to be finished by the author. Uh, yeah, there you go. Tiger and Dell, Jennifer Roberson. Well, hmm, was that a short episode? I don't know. I think we're probably clocking about 20 minutes at this point, but it certainly isn't the 50-minute monstrosity of episode 114. So um, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I'll try to be a little shorter in the future. I noticed the, the one even before that was over an hour. My goodness, I'm sitting there looking at my, my numbers. Uh, but 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 uh, typically my episodes run 18 to 30 minutes, you know, in that kind of neighborhood. And I'll try to keep them in that zone in the future. Thanks for listening. This has been another Plundergrounds. I'm Ray Otis signing off. You can find links to my things at www.rayotis.com and, of course, the show notes at plundergrounds.blogspot.com. I still don't have show notes up for episode 113, um, and maybe because it's called It's a Hard One to Title because it kind of jumps all over the place. But um, I will have I have show notes up for 114, and I'll have them up for this one as you listen to it. Uh, I want to thank Logan Howard for doing my theme music and to thank all my Patreons for supporting the podcast and my other creative endeavors. And until next time, look out for those rest monsters.